You know, asswipe is quite a general term. It is. How would you define asswipe in this particular instance? So his social skills are somewhere between Asperger and serial killer. <laughs> okay. You drove right by my house yesterday and didn't stop. <laughs> no, actually, actually, we drove by your house on Monday. So basically, Brian's not going to give you advice, but he's going to give you the big ass guilt trip for not going by and seeing him there. I'm good with that. Damn straight. Damn straight. Uh, Kathy, welcome to our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Kathy Faulkner is a voice talent who rocks. In fact, during her radio career in Seattle, Kathy was not only one of the most listened to air personalities in the market, but as music director, she helped break the careers of some of the biggest names in rock, from Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden, to Tool and Candlebox. In 1990, Kathy started doing what many radio people try to do, often without success. She started putting her voice on 10s, 30s, and 60s that aired well beyond her own radio station. Her versatility led to everything from e-learning and video games to audiobooks. So how do you go from back announcing progressive rock to 60 seconds at a time to spending more than six hours at a time in the booth as a long-form storyteller? Well, we're about to find out. Let's talk voiceover, Kathy Faulkner. Well, sure. (laughs) Amazing career that started off like so many of us, working in radio with that dream to uh, live the rock and roll lifestyle, and and then evolved into this really awesome later stage career that just keeps going and going and going and going. Tell us about how you got interested to begin with. Watching Radio Consolidate really was uh, motivation to find something else. <laughs> was kind Boy, of... <laughs> isn't that the truth? I worked nights, so I could moonlight during the day and go do auditions. Oh, that makes and... life easy. It that is. makes life so much easier. Right, because yeah. when you zone out sleep, think of all the things you can get done. Oh, yeah. Sleep deprived since 1980 and still running. <laughs> <laughs> That's a T-shirt. Yeah. That's a T-shirt or a bumper <laughs> sticker. Absolutely. I like it as T-shirt. Kathy, you know, you and I have known each other a long time, but I never really, you know, we have never really, for whatever reason, <clears throat> excuse me. Bless you. <clears throat> Thank you. What is going on with your voice? Dude. I'm going for the gravel. <laughs> going for the gravel. See? See? <laughs> So, Kathy, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff, and I know some about your career back at KISW. And you and I have actually had more conversations when things have happened, like when Chris Cornell died, mm-hmm. when, when I found out that Eddie Vedder was a major Cubs fan, which is a recurring theme on here. And, <laughs> you know, how did that whole thing evolve with you as music director and getting to know all these people? Because I'm guessing that when, when you guys all knew each other, they were not yet anybody's and then became somebody's. Pearl Jam specifically, they were Mother Love Bone. And so right. being a being a Seattle native, I have tons of bribery photographs from early in the day of middle schools and high schools and, th- you know, little bands and garages and so on and so forth. But as far as KISW goes, we always had a philosophy that we were a party looking for a place to happen. 
which mm-hmm. may may sound obvious for a rock station, but we were friends with all of these musicians and we would go hang out. Randy and I also have that same philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> then at a certain point, the rest of the country or the rest of the world caught on. Then it turned into this crazy, crazy feeding frenzy, insane time where it wasn't even safe for me to drive home. Wow. Because we were so known in Seattle for surprise shows or surprise giveaways or whatever that it was crazy. (laughs) It was just crazy. Say stalker-ish much? Yeah. I mean, the one that I remember most is when Pearl Jam did a thank you concert and it was a free show. The rock radio stations in Seattle gave away all the tickets. So at a certain point, the listeners are catching on that if the DJs are going somewhere, they're giving away something at some time. And ah. I went to this grocery store and I used the payphone back when there were payphones. And I'm standing there on the phone talking to the station saying, OK, here I am giving away tickets. And I see this semi jackknife across the divider and head straight for me. Oh, <laughs> I was crap. like, holy crap, I'm going to die. <laughs> but he's got tickets to Pearl Jam. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Who said radio doesn't work? Oh, good Lord. Wow. <laughs> So you're having this really cool radio career, and because you're working evenings, you have a little bit of time on your hands. How did you actually get started in voiceover? Working at a radio station is very easy because they always need the the jocks to voice 10s, 30s, and 60s. So that's where, sure, that's sure. where I started, but they were basically, you know, your car dealership or some casino or some big promotion where you're sounding like a disc jockey. So... I enjoyed doing it. There was an ad lib quality that isn't like radio. And then I realized that, oh, sounding like a disc jockey reading a commercial just isn't quite the way to break into voiceovers. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Wow. Hey, people tell me I got a great voice for radio. I should really be doing voiceovers. (laughs) (laughs) So I think kind of the constant theme in my career, whether it was starting out in radio really young or wanting to cross over into voiceovers, was people saying, oh, that's just not how it's done. And then me going, okay, feeling like an absolute idiot. And then going back, you know, and reading up and practicing and learning and coming back at it and then saying, fuck you, man, I figured it out and I'm making it in this business. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. So did you always do voices as well or were you pretty much just a straight commercial and then kind of uh, learned to become more versatile as you went along? A lot of it was straight commercial. Um, and it was, I mean, we're talking late 80s, early 90s. So that was still back in the day where you could go to the studios and they would do casting calls for voiceover. Sure. What a concept. So during the day, I would schlep around as much as I could. I put a demo together and scored a few gigs and then tried to expand from there. The voiceover or the voices stuff in the video games came from being in the land of Nintendo. There was also a... Ah. a Seattle, uh, yes. Yeah, well, yeah, that whole cyber bubble thing, that internet. Interweb what? Inter okay, something, yeah. W, yeah. W, yeah. 
Yeah. F. I heard that went somewhere. Mike, <laughs> macro. Mike, Macroville. Macro. Yeah. 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 yeah so, yeah. <laughs> so there were a lot of opportunities that if I were in a different market, I probably wouldn't have had. Sure. There was a company called Humongous Entertainment that you may oh, yeah. or may not have mm-hmm. been familiar with. Um, and so the first characters that I got cast for were in the backyard baseball series and then backyard soccer and all yep. the other sports. Oh, those were fun. Those yeah. were so fun. My kids used to play those. Yeah, it was a blast. And we'd go in and we would do these, you know, great voices. And being younger, that was great. But then at a certain point when I got cast to do a woman dying in a horror flick video game and I had to scream bloody murder for like eight hours in a day. And I'm like, you know, uh, I don't think I don't think my vocal cords are going to survive this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at um, e-learning. There you go. I remember the producer when I was doing the the horror video game. He goes, you don't sound like you're choking enough. You're being strangled. He goes, let's give you some jello. You can choke on jello while you're screaming. And I'm like, wow. I did- <laughs> that's that's good direction. I, I've, um, actually, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Um, that that that's great. But when do I get to breathe? Yeah, exactly. There's no breathing and choking. There's no breathing. There's no crying in baseball, and there's no breathing in in voiceover. That's why they write a minute thirty worth of copy for a sixty a fifty nine second spot. Right. There's no breathing in voiceover. <laughs> oh my god! And, and so you started doing e learning stuff and video game stuff. Yep. And then the one client that made it possible for me to jump from radio when it was time to jump or have the freedom to choose was Muzak, believe it or not. Um, I was a, oh my. I was a voice talent for Muzak doing in store. I was featured at various gas stations around the country. Just are you thirsty? Come inside. We've got a soda for you, you know. But I got that job when I was on a kayaking trip in Canada. Oh, my gosh. I know. It was it's a fabulous story. I'll give you kind of the cliff note of it. But um, I, in radio, very rarely get vacations. And I had always wanted to kayak up in Canada. And when you're in the media, your big goal for vacation is to get out of media. So the kayak guys, this was a 10-day long trip with like 12 people and the rule was for our guides is that we only had to give our first name. And during those 10 days, you could not talk about what you did for a living. You couldn't talk about your job. You were just that person. Oh, my God. If we, you know, if we could only apply that today. I know. How grand would life be? Oh, it was absolutely fabulous. And so what was funny is to see those that couldn't adhere to the rules. And so at about day five, like I'm kayaking in this like like bog area. And uh, one of the members of the trip um, came up and was like, okay, you worked late before you came up to join us for the trip. He goes, are you like a 911 dispatcher? And they spent the rest of the trip trying to guess what we did for a living. It's like, you have a good voice. You, you must work for the 911 dispatch or something like that. So everybody yeah, started. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, okay, close, but. That's better when you said they had a guess where my brain went. So I think 911 <laughs> dispatcher goes well. Well, yeah. And, and of course, from Kathy's perspective, it's like, yeah, I talk to psychos all night long. Sure. That's that's, right. that's the evening disc jockey. So, yes. And in radio, everything goes wrong and everything's an emergency. So, yeah, we're close. So the last night of the trip, we opened this ceremonial bottle of tequila where then we. Was a big reveal of what you did for a living. 
And we're going around and this guy, Bill, who's sitting next to me, he went first before me. He goes, I, my name's Bill. I'm the CEO of Muzak. And I started laughing because they were based oh in my. Seattle and I had been trying to get them to answer my freaking phone call for months. Like, here's the job that I could go in, do a bunch of voice work, try a bunch of different things, you know, different stores, different clients, different de demographics. I thought it was a great opportunity to get my feet wet in voiceovers. Sure. And he goes, OK, hot shot. Who the hell are you? And so I grab a bottle of tequila <laughs> and I take a shot and I go, hi, I'm Kathy Faulkner. People know me from. And then the guy goes, you're the late Kathy Faulkner from KISW. He starts freaking out realizing who I am. <laughs> and I said, no, no, nice. no, I'm Bill's next employee. There you go. And Bill called me at the end of the trip and I never saw him after that day, but he called me into his office and at the office when I showed up was his assistant with a job application and I got hired that day. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How cool. And I did voiceovers for him for 27 years. Wow. That, that's a hell of a client. You know, honestly, I don't know anyone who had the same client for 27 years. That's incredible. I have plaques and watches and clocks, too. They they honored all the anniversaries. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was perfect because I could schedule, you know, session times around the radio station. It was a perfect overlap because the biggest risk of going into voiceover is ditching your full-time job if you're trying to do yep, that kind sure. of transition. Sure. And so Muzak actually made it possible. It gave me that income to lean on while I was experimenting in other areas. What an incredible opportunity. Oh, it was amazing. That's a great lesson for voiceover. You never know where your next job is going to come from. Oh, yeah, oh, that's absolutely. True. So don't go talking shit about people, all right? That's all <laughs> no. I'm going to say. <laughs> well, and also the whole networking thing, God, I, I try to preach, and maybe if you, know, if you give enough examples, maybe more people will listen, but just when you network... It's always being interested in everybody and being genuinely interested and finding out what they're about, not what they can do for you. Right. And because you, first of all, you never know what opportunities you may find that helps them, and you never know what kind of reciprocal thing happens. But you can't even do it reciprocally. It's just it's just a mindset of you go in, be interested in other people, find out ways you can help them, and it all just kind of comes flooding back to you at some point in time. Right. Well, that sounds amazingly like operating a small business now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure um, does. Kind of. <laughs> wow. Voiceover, small business. I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing themes here. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but voiceover. There's no business in voiceover. <laughs> there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> there's no breathing in voiceover. There's no breathing in voiceover. That's it there, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> On a personal level, you know, since my first tribe are musicians, um, you, how much do you keep in touch with all the old Seattle, regardless of how famous they may or may not have become, even the ones that are not, how, how much are you in touch with those people? Because you haven't been in radio for a long time. Um, I'm still in the Seattle area. I actually keep in touch, I guess, to a point. The disclaimer that I'd put is that, uh, you know, sometimes you have to go through a mediary now because they're so dang huge. But Right, um, sure. Yeah. But, uh, for example, this past weekend, Candlebox and two other Seattle bands, uh, Sweetwater and Green Apple Quickstep, all three of them were celebrating the 25th anniversary of their debut release. And they did mm -hmm. a big show at the Paramount, and I wanted to go. 
Um, so I went and and then I hear, uh, I think it was between S- Sweetwater and then Candlebox was headlining before they went on stage. And I hear, well, we're trying to find that DJ from the radio station. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, I figured that it oh, was. Oh, she died along with her career many, many years <laughs> I ago. Know. Yeah, really. Well, I You're figured that it was her. like the DJ, a current DJ from the station because that they would want to be there. They play the bands and 90s are really. Sure. 90s are classic rock now, which scares me. Um, yeah, right. And then at a certain point, everybody was silent and kind of looking around. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, you mean me? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and we got to hang out and catch up. And I hadn't seen the guys, oh, God, like for 10 years. But you pick up where you left off. You know, it's 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 like you two. It's like, you know, Randy goes past your neighborhood. You get pissed off that you don't stop by. So... Yeah, we keep in touch. Yeah. See, I only wish we didn't see each other for 10 years. There's more to talk about. True. True. I like seeing Randall. Aww. In fact, I've spent way too much time with Randall uh, over drinks in a bar and probably shouldn't have spent that much time. (laughs) But that's, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. So so that's why you keep the tape rolling so that you remember what you guys talked about at the bar. Well, and absolutely. Also, absolutely. And also, so sometimes you can go back and go, do you remember what happened then? No. Uh, you know, no. And, and you, <laughs> roll tape. I got tape. I got roll tape. Yep. So, yeah. So, That's okay. so we're, I got a police report for it. So it was really not an issue. <laughs> so what do we call that one? Let's talk bar hopping. Let's talk tequila. Let's, let's, let's talk vomit. I don't uh, know. No, <laughs> no. One of those. Let's, yeah. no, that one, I don't think that's marketable. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on your target audience, right? True. Really big among the 19 to 21 and a half year olds. <laughs> well, isn't that the market everybody's oh, trying to man. corner? Every, everyone's got a demo, right? Everyone's got a, de- a, a, yeah, a target true. demo thereafter. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk let's talk vomit. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll discuss later. <laughs> Shelf that one, would you? Along with the tequila. <laughs> So you eventually evolved into audiobooks. We have not talked much about audiobooks. As a as a as a voiceover person and an experienced voiceover person, talk about doing audiobooks, um, everything from pulling together a demo to how do you actually audition and get cast? How different is it? How similar is it? And then just the whole stretch of how do you sit in a booth for six hours at a time, day after day after day for a week or two or sometimes even three until it's done. Oh, is is that where I'm supposed to answer that question? Is it rhetorical? I'm just interested. Uh, I mean, because... You can talk about the Seahawks. Yeah, Seahawks. So what do you think? What do you think of the Seahawks? How's Russell Wilson looking this year? Huh? Uh, I'll get back to you later Any any of the above. It's just... What? It's a tough room. It is a tough room. A tough crowd. See? Tough crowd. <laughs> Wait, your turn's coming. Now back to this audiobook thing. I know. That's 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 why it's so nice to be here with you gentlemen. I appreciate Oh yeah, buttering up ain't gonna win yeah. you shit. It, it's it. not. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, hey Brian, I'll tell you I'll tell you another story that also is true that Kathy probably has a slightly actually I would like to hear Kathy's perspective on this story and then I can fill in any blanks. So okay. I'm in Seattle five <laughs> years ago. Yeah, she already knows what this is. And and she I worked in Seattle five years ago and you didn't stop to see me. Damn it. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> what kind of friend are you? Anyway, so Kathy comes to pick me up and I said, I've got a problem. She's like, What? It's like, I've lost my phone. Oh. <laughs> Can I borrow yours for a mm-hmm. moment? 
Mm-hmm. So I'll let Kathy tell you the rest of this from her perspective. I was trying to just play it cool. I don't, you know, it was so dramatic and traumatic for you that I just blocked it all out of my mind. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. All you need to know, Brian, is so I'm calling from Kathy's phone. So it's not a phone number that that Laurie is going to recognize. So oh, about, no. So oh, about, no. And the caller ID pops up with a woman's phone number? Well, no, no, but, <laughs> Dude, no, but it does. think through this. Think through this. <laughs> no, that, that actually wasn't the issue. The issue was she didn't pick it up for I don't know how many times because it's not a number she recognizes. Yeah, it's caller <sighs> ID backfiring. Right. And so finally, after so much, she she picks it up, you know, and, and I say, Laurie, don't hang up. It's me. It's like, what is this number? And so, of course, I tell her, I have lost my phone. Let's just say the conversation didn't go particularly well from that point forward. <laughs> Probably not. If I told yeah, Rosie, I'm calling from a woman's phone, but I swear I lost mine. And she right. just happened to be really helpful. Something like <laughs> something so like that. Probably not going over super duper well. Fortunately, well, Kathy had worked for us. So, you know, in Laurie's world, she was an invoice. So it's like, okay, this is probably legitimate. <laughs> yeah, she's seen the so name Kathy, before. Right. Kathy, let's hear your side of the story after just being called an invoice. (laughs) We'll address that aspect later. (laughs) No, I mean, I was really looking... Today's guest is Kathy Faulkner. She's an invoice. (laughs) (laughs) A light item means a paycheck, so I'm not going to complain all that much. That's true. I'm not... I'm not going to kick that one too hard, right? Oh, that now, was always, a, that, actually, even in the music days, that was, you know, when I was doing jingles and things like that, that was always our line that was that was meant to be funny. It's like, you know, and but it was also to get people out the door. It's like, thank you very much, poof, you're an invoice, hoping they'd take the hint and leave. <laughs> so is the food over there free and, and, and is it for us? <laughs> Those famous words you hear from someone who doesn't spend enough time in a studio. Right. Is that free? Can I have some? Yep. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So can we get back to the audiobook thing or is that just no. not the topic we're going oh, on? Who wants to talk about audiobooks? <laughs> They're long. I mean, I spent probably 10 or more years editing audiobooks when they were on reel to reel. Quite honestly, that's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into it? Most of my voiceover within the audiobook industry is in the... Owner's manual, technical, vocational, (laughs) textbook kind of world. So I tried doing a few short stories where I would try and do characters and be, be consistent throughout. And the stamina necessary to be able to do that in long form for two, four, five, six hours a day was not something that I could do. Doing e learning or owner's manuals, or I did tons of stuff for Microsoft in that area. Sure. Open the pod bay door, Hal, and click next. (laughs) And I would do a lot of those, and that would still be two to four hours a day. What I'm doing now is venturing into textbook realm and online learning world, and that can still be taken in sections because you're dealing with a skill or conveying how to learn a skill, you're not necessarily painting a canvas like Bob Ross and doing the little trees. You're, you're not really painting that kind of theater of the mind movie picture. Okay. So it's easier to pick up, like take breaks and pick up where you left off. So really it's types of audiobooks that you do are much more of a continual transition from e-learning than jump, jumping right into the hardcore narratives and fiction stories and 
doing multiple characters and all that stuff. It allows me to be consistent and to be able to take breaks and then come back without it being too much of a break in consistency. Yeah. You know, what you're doing is obviously extraordinarily viable. It's a great segment of audiobooks that is not the one that you immediately think of, right? And, right. And, and it seems like there might be an easier transition path to go from a career of successful e-learning to move into audiobooks in this way. Yeah, true, true. I know a lot of people that I've talked to that were interested in getting into voiceovers and specifically in the area of audiobooks. I guess there, you know, there's various companies that need narration for audiobooks. So you can go in and, and practice. And I say practice because you get paid like pennies for the minute. But for me, I didn't want to chase something like that because a lot of the audiobooks in, you know, the bestsellers, they're voiced by celebrities. So right. if anything, I'm going to be doing a scratch track for pacing or to set it up for, you know, Morgan Freeman to come in and do it or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> okay. So they give you the script and, and you nail it and you send them back a finished finish? A finished finish. Wow. The client's not on the phone. So self-directed on top of it all. Uh-huh. Wow. Don't say I'm not a multitasker, See? baby. <laughs> Well, but it almost has to be self-directed because when you've got a textbook that's going to take, I'm going to say, 20 hours worth of recording mm-hmm. and what what's our multiple times three for editing and proofing and all that kind of stuff. So you've got 60 hours of that. But even the 20 hours of recording, no one's going to be on for that. No. You know, well, it, 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 and, and it, now, okay, so at one point in my career, I did a bunch of technical books, audio books, right? I did the whole entire MCSC series, which is the Microsoft Certified mm-hmm. Systems Engineer, and mm-hmm. the entire series for the tests, and that was days and days and days and weeks and weeks, and um, had, mm-hmm. had a producer. It was in a studio. It was with a producer the entire mm-hmm. time. I also did uh, Macmillan Publishing's How Computers Work, and again, that was a full-length book, and <laughs> And it was I did, the same thing. I did Windows 95. See, there you go. It was same <laughs> same kind of stuff. So, yeah. you know, but of course at that time, things were usually done in a studio. People weren't doing things in a home studio like today. So different time, different approach. Yeah, so you had to have an engineer. So maybe that was, you know, were you ever actually the one, you know, saying, hey, that's not right. Let's go back and oh, do yeah. this. Or was there always no, a, that, was there always a director? That was always there? a part of being a good engineer. Whether there was a director there or whether there wasn't, you always played at least a second director. I guess my question was, were you ever there like, and you're going to be the director as well, even though they don't expect you to say, slow it down, speed it up. They sure. at least expect you to prove. Sure, absolutely. I mean, that, that that's always been a part of engineering at least in my world right and then even on the editing side you get take notes but it's like okay Mm -hmm. you know here's where the pickup is and then it's the next take you get to decide how that all comes together and it's your responsibility to make it sound seamless and like it was a perfect read from word one to word end i think what's changed now is we've gotten to such a, a culture of telecommuting and budgets have been cut so much that right. it's very common that I get a load of scripts. It's the client's responsibility to send me a finished script. We are also in a culture of cut and paste, and so there's a lot of errors. So one thing I will not do is I will not interpret the script. If they don't want to pay to have somebody on the recording session with me, 
I'll make sure it's accurate and I'll proof it to make sure it's as written. But if it was cut and paste incorrectly, or if it was outsourced to another country where the culture is different in interpreting English and how it's read conversationally, right? then they have to come back with the redos. And that is on a, a time basis. See, I still get myself in trouble from time to time because I would naturally just fix grammar issues or or making things more conversational in the flow of doing the voiceover. And so right. I, I still do that from time to time. And there are those people who go, oh, no, you said you'll and 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 it needed to be you will. Yeah. That is one of the shortcomings of self-directed, self-edited, self-produced. What I would do, like, say I have a large script and, and there's like one thing that came up, like data versus data, or yeah. I'll either contact the client and, and ask for a clarification, which is easy to do in a text or an email or, or whatever, or proofing the script ahead of time. And if there's any names or particular vernaculars, ask for a pronunciation scratch track from them. And I just use that to mimic off of. Sure. And then... um there's one other thing that I, okay, I I actually have a short attention span because I <laughs> forgot what I was going to say, but but um, but if there's some but if there's something grammatically that comes up, occasionally I'll do like an alternate take that's sent separately and it'll have the same file name, but it'll just say alternate, sure. and that'll keep them from coming back to do like, could you do these three words? But if there's something through the whole script that's obvious that that last little bit of proofing just wasn't done, then I think it's on them to give me what, you know, the finished script. That's that's as diva as I'll go. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm flexible and I'll work with them. But on the same token, it's nice to have a script that's finished and ready to go. Oh, I remember. The other thing that I ask them is, what is their source for pronunciation? There's so many online pronunciation apps now. Yep that I have the client tell me where to go to get the pronunciation. Right. Yeah, I did I did some medical stuff recently for a pharmaceutical company. They went ahead and sent a recorded pronunciation guide with each script. Mm -hmm. So that does tend to help. Yeah. So oh, what yeah. is the longest book that you've done? Uh, 24 chapters. It was a medical textbook, and it, it took about two and a half weeks. My husband and my son saw me during meals <laughs> and bathroom breaks, <laughs> and that was about it. And and the main reason why it was so intense is because the deadline was very unrealistic. The client based the deadline on the finished minute, not the fact that on average it takes three minutes to do an unfinished minute. Right. Right. Yeah. A three A three to one ratio is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, yeah, it's very good. Well, thank you. <laughs> Even in, you know, a lot of the gaming stuff that I do, you know, I always figure it's somewhere between 3.5 and 4 to 1. Mm -hmm. There are things that, you know, will go faster and there are things that will go slower. Short prompts go faster than long prompts. But mm -hmm. it's, but that's a pretty good metric. So if you're, if you're actually doing it 3 to 1, I think you're, you're kind of flying. Thank you. I, I take that as a high compliment from you guys. There you that go. Is, that is a compliment. That's See? all it is. I mean, we it's... dish out the shit and we compliment. We we go both ways on You're that. You're fair. We are. You're fair we and balanced. Fair. Fa well, I'll stay. <laughs> and, and with that, we're out of time. Thank you, Kathy. Damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Randall, you have to, you do have to share the story of how I'm venturing into the next audiobook project and how you and I got to work together on it. 
Okay, so obviously we, we I, I can't name this client or anything no. like that at this point because this stuff is not happening yet. Some people I know who used to work at a gaming company have gone to work at this place. And this is a company that does a lot of traditional learning and they're now kind of moving into e-learning. Um, so they're taking a lot of their traditional learning products and they're, they're gravitating it over. And so I talked to the, the person there who was very gracious and uh, we've had lovely conversation about the state of the industry and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, she asked me about doing it. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the metric for what it's going to take to do it because this is very different from the stuff that I usually do, but I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely interested. So she sends me some samples of things <laughs> and, I, and I listened to some of this and it's like, there were just a lot of things that were wrong with it, but you know, but the read was was not. It was very stilted, and I said, "Well, uh, let me talk to some people that I know because I would have to have at least one male and one female." So you know, I'm listening to this and I'm going, "Man, this is stuff that Kathy could just nail." And so I call Kathy and I say, "Would this be something you'd be interested?" Because in? I know you've been doing a lot of audiobooks and you know, she's like, "Oh, I'd be completely interested in that." I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to send you something because I think." I would like to maybe give them a sample to see, to show them if this is something, you know, we can give them something better than this. And so I send her the sample. And I, yeah, and I so believe I said, you said that the voice on the sample was someone that was clueless. <laughs> I may have said that. Yes, I may have did. said that. Yes, you did. So, which, 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 hang on, Brian, there's a reason why that's important. Kathy should probably take the story from here. So he's like, I'm going to send you a sample of what they don't like. And obviously, it's like a new voice talent, someone who's clueless, da-da-da. I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a listen, da-da-da-da. Send me some script or send me something, and, and I'll send you an audition. Sure. So I was really busy, and I put it off, put it off, because I had some other sessions that I had to do. And right in the evening, winding down, I'm like, okay, I'll listen to the sample so I can address it tomorrow. Yep. The sample was me. <laughs> It was my crappy read. Wow, <laughs> knocking you back down a peg but, or two. There you go. <laughs> well, but there, but but when but there's a reason, right? The reason is the client may be on domestic shore, but the production company is in another country that I was uh. working with, and no matter how conversational I was in the American vernacular, there are some words that instinctually run together in this country that don't run together in others. And so when I would speak as a normal, accent-neutral American female, you know, in this demographic and e-learning, sure. I would get pages and pages of corrections. And it was so that I would separate and from the or is from that. It had nothing to do with the content. So what was conversational ended up very being almost robotic in tone. Yes. See the value of offshoring? And Randall didn't even know it was me. Oh, my God. I couldn't tell it was Kathy. And as soon as oh. she said that, my first thought was, I thought she was kidding. Like, nope. no, that's oh not. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then it's like, you're serious. Okay, we're going to do this the way you do it normally because I've worked with you and that's yeah, not you. Yeah. And we sent it off to him, and basically that was, I think, an, that was enough for us to score the score the rest of the project. Well, you and know, you said like, the magic was it was the same talent. It's not right. It's not the voice talent. It's the process that she's being put through. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it just so happens that this is the same actor. And I, and I even like told him the names and everything else. It's and I didn't have to direct because Kathy, do what you do. 
look, there it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. A great actor can't save a bad project, mm-hmm. but a terrible actor can wreck a great project. Right. And in this case, I would say you could say the same thing with direction, with process, with everything else. It doesn't matter who you have. If you don't let that person do what they do, if you don't, if you don't hire mm-hmm. that actor and understand that you're hiring that actor, this is not your brilliance that's going to get them to there. I know everybody wants to be Cecil B. DeMille's and Alfred Hitchcock and put themselves you know, in, in micromanagement of things, but that really just doesn't normally work. You hire them for a reason. Let them do what they do. Absolutely. And if you also really let a, a budget rule the project, oh God, it's going no to kidding. get to a point where you're dealing with cultural differences, not the actual project at hand. And so, Kathy, did you do the male voice as well? Because I'd never got the audition <laughs> for that. I never got included. I never got the opportunity from Randy. He basically well, we're still me on it all. I did. Yeah, I did. We're still waiting to hear back on my deep register okay. and if, right. uh, if it's right. going to pass. Okay, so I feel better now. We just, I feel better and I won't, I we won't just, shun Randall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just pitched it down. That's perfectly good. Yeah, right? again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it saved a few dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's the dial. <laughs> Kathy, this has been great talking with you. We really appreciate the time you've given us and uh, the insights. And what an awesome story migrating from rock and roll queen to a uh, very successful voiceover artist. So... Congratulations on that. And she's still a rock and roll. You know, that's just, that's a part of who you are. That never goes away. (laughs) So it is that time again. Randall. Brian Talbot. Kathy. Yes, Punky. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Punky. Got it. Until next time, kids. We'll talk again real soon. Kathy Faulkner is fun to talk with. And she's talented. Real talented. Check her out at kathyfaulkner.com. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, voice, music, and sound design, and me, Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>